Welcome back to the Ornithopter Flight Academy. I'm your host, Brendan, joined as always with Josh. Josh, how are we doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for asking. What's new this week? Are you still just playing Marvel Snap? Did you get a chance to play some Magic cards? or I finished out the uh, league I was doing, the, the best of ones, and played like one Commander game. Not too much other than that. I gotcha. I, uh... Still been jamming some vintage, trying to get ready for the Eternal Weekend this weekend. I uh, played the Standard Challenge this week. Um, played Blue-White Soldiers, which is apparently a deck. I've been on this new kick lately, uh, for those of you that don't know, where I choose a random format, a deck I haven't played, and I just try to figure it out as I go. And it went okay. I took 14th out of the 75 players in the Sunday Challenge. Um, the deck was fun, and I'll be honest with you, Standard's in a pretty fun place right now. I played a fair variety of decks. There's a couple decks that are out there that I didn't play against, but were in the tournament when I went through and looked at the results the next day. So, it, I was pleasantly surprised there were 75 people playing that challenge, and the last one I played had like 50. So, I went 5-2, and two, got 14th on tiebreakers. Overall, I was pretty happy. Um, especially, I probably didn't mulligan enough. And then last night I tried to navigate some Pioneer. I just picked up uh, the Grease Fang uh, deck, the Abzan Grease Fang deck. You watched me play that probably pretty poorly the first two games that I lost, or the first two rounds I lost. But then luckily I won my last two to get some qualifier points and some of my play points back. Some treasure chest with some stuff in it. So, but that's about it. I haven't been playing as much magic as I like, but such is life. Eh, it's holiday season. Yeah, I'm ready for all that to get over. You know what comes after holiday season? What's that? I turn the dirty 30 in January, just over a month away. Man, you're old. Yeah, can't be a young guy like you forever, Josh. Exactly. Uh, well, this week, before we get in our main topic, I have a couple things I want to touch on. Um, first off, this is mostly Magic Online-related stuff. Uh, Magic Online now has a Discord. Have you had a chance to join that yet, Josh? Yeah, I joined it, but I haven't really took a peek around there. Uh, it looks pretty sweet. Uh, you get to like interact with people that work for Magic Online and get pretty quick responses and everything. And there's just also, like, I think there's one of the rooms where it's just people's pets. People just posting pictures of their pets and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool to have kind of more of a community with this digital client. Um, they're bringing back, or not bringing back, starting today, tomorrow. Tomorrow for us probably yesterday for those of you listening. Um, did you hear about the Supreme Pioneer Chaos Draft League? No, but that sounds sweet. Okay. So Brothers War, I'm just going to read this section of the article um, from their blog post today. I read it earlier today, and I got super happy. So it says, It just so happens that the Brothers War is the 36th standard legal non-core expansion to be released into the history of the Pioneer format. Because 36 is a magic number for cube, 
we decided to combine all of MTGO's wackiness into one awesome week of gameplay. Drafting by yourself, 36 virtual boosters go into a digital bag. You are presented with a booster, draft two cards, then throw the rest of the pack of the way. Do that with 17 more boosters, which are all different, then build a 40-card deck out of your 36 picks. Uh, it starts at 10 a.m. Pacific time tomorrow. It's just like all the other Phantom drafts, it's 10 a.m. or 100 play points. Uh, I've never drafted this way before, but it seems freaking sweet. Seems really weird. Yeah, it's like I think they're just doing it for like a down, like a down week. They're trying it. I think it's only going to be up for yeah. It's just one week, so it's something new they're trying. Uh, I don't know. I think it's cool when they try new stuff. I'm pretty excited about it. I don't know how good it will be. Um, I don't know how you like try to make a deck. Like you just take a bomb and a removal spell every pack and hope to get there. It seems like that might be a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So after that, they're going to have a Rivals at Ixalan, Ixalan flashback draft, which I'm not a fan of the flashback drafts because you don't get to keep the cards. So unless it's a set I'm super nostalgic about, it is what it is. But it's almost Christmas time, which brings on one of our favorite things in this world, December 21st to January 24th. That is like five weeks. Yeah, five weeks. We have Vintage Cube back. I'm excited for five weeks of Vintage Cube. Vintage Cube is always amazing. Yeah. It is up there with one of my favorite. It's my favorite limited format by a long shot. Um, also, today they started releasing parts of Dominaria Remastered. They mentioned that they're going to make spoiler seasons shorter and spread sets out a little bit to make uh, uh, buyer fatigue and overwhelming people with a bajillion cards like they have been for the last few years. Apparently, they've heard the angry internet and are responding with that they're going to do something about it. Uh, we'll see if it happens. I think we both kind of have the same opinion there on that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping it changes. Dominaria Remastered so far looks like it's going to be a really fun limited set. And I hope I open up a Force of Will. So... I will let you take us into our main topic for the day. Yeah, so this week we are going to talk about some of our favorite cards in Magic. We've each picked our favorite card from each color, uh, including artifacts, lands, and multicolor uh, into three separate categories there for those. There's not really anything other than we just like these cards. This is purely our opinions, and we're just going to talk about them for a bit. So I'll, I'll start it off with uh, my favorite blue card of all time, Tradewind Rider. It is three and a blue for a 1-4 spirit with flying, and it says tap and tap two untapped creatures you control to return a permanent to its owner's hand. This card was so much fun to use on your side of the field and so miserable to play against. Uh, it had a poor toughness. Uh, it could eat a lightning bolt without dying and incinerate without dying. 
and you would be able to just slowly whittle your opponent's board down uh, over time uh, with effects that could you know, untap it, like Seedborn Muse later on, uh, things like that. You could just you could go nuts with this card. It could bounce their lands. Uh, it's a little reminiscent of a card uh, Capsize, which kind of fills that same role where you can repeatedly bounce any permanent that you want. Uh, loved playing this card. Absolutely love this card. What's your blue card, uh, Brendan? A Consecrated Sphinx is my blue card. It's for blue-blue, for 4-6 Flyer. Whenever an opponent draws a card, you may draw two cards. I originally played this card in Standard, and I've put Splinter Twins on Consecrated Sphinxes before. Let me tell you, that is a real good time, drawing four cards a turn. I play this card in a lot of my Vintage Cube decks. I jam it in every blue Commander deck I play. It's fun. If you play it in Commander full warning, like someone will A, either copy it, or B, kill you. Um, or kill it very quickly. But my favorite is when there's two on the field, and you have this weird kind of standoff with your opponent. Like, which one of us is going to stop drawing cards first? Um, it gets really confusing on Magic Online because it puts a bunch of triggers on the stack when there's two of them. But yeah, out of all the blue cards I've cast, this by far is my favorite. It can just win the game, um, and drawing cards is fun and good. One of my favorite cards to grab in cube, too. Yeah. Have you played against someone else having one in cube? Oh, yeah. Many times. And rarely do I win those games. <laughs> Like, if you had, like, two in play at the same time, like, you have one and they have one? Oh, yeah, I, I've had that, too. And it's like a game of chicken to see uh, how far into your deck you're going to go. <laughs> yeah, the cube, because you have, like, a 40-card deck, you know, so at this point you probably have 30, 25 cards. And so you're kind of like, who's going to give up first? Do you try to mill your opponent? Do you try to outvalue them? Um, it's almost like whoever resolves their second wins because then I get to draw a bunch of cards on your turn so I don't have to discard them at the end of turn and kind of sculpt a really good hand. But yeah, it's uh, it's just made for some super interesting gameplay. And Commander, it's bonkers because you get to draw six cards each round if there's no other draw effects. So, yeah. What's our next color we're moving on to? Moving on to black. And I'll let you lead off with yours. Okay, so black was really tough for me. Uh, apparently, I just haven't cast a lot of black cards. But lately, in testing for Vintage, there's one black card I have cast a lot. And I thoroughly enjoy it. Opposition Agent. Opposition Agent is two and a black for a three, two with flash. It says, you control your opponents while they're searching their libraries. While an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find. You may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were any, ma any mana of any color to cast them. Um, so in formats like Vintage, it is super busted. They go Tinker, you play this, or you could just be annoying and take their, like, to pop a fetch land and you take it. Uh, Urza Saga goes off. You can go steal their Black Lotus. Um, 
And it's originally from Commander Legends, the first one. Um, yeah, and it's just fun. I like playing with other people's cards, stealing their stuff. It's a good time for me. Not for them, but for me. It's a real good time. What's your black card? Uh, fits that theme of uh, one of us gets to have fun. Well, maybe not. Maybe this card is nobody gets to have fun. Uh, my black card is Pox. The yeah, old you're, Pox. Your dick. <laughs> This card, I, I don't know. I, I just like causing misery in Magic games, I guess. It is black, black, black for a sorcery. And it says that everybody, each player, loses one-third of their life, one-third of the cards in their hand, one-third of the creatures they control, and one-third of the lands they control. You round each loss up. It slows the game down to an absolute crawl. You're you're taking their cards out of their hands. You're taking their lands out of play so they can't play anything anyway. You're clearing the board of creatures so the game can't really end. And yeah, you do some, uh, some loss of life with the card as well, but that usually is mostly irrelevant. They've made a couple other cards in the same vein, very symmetrical uh, effects, smallpox named because it is a small pox uh does the same thing but it's each player loses one life discards one card sacks one creature sacks one land uh cards like death cloud 2 were a variable uh pox where you could choose the the number that everybody was going to sacrifice those cards have seen a little bit of play pox doesn't see much play largely because it's really hard to break it and all it does most of the time is just grind the game to a standstill but it is my favorite. I love casting that card. Plus, it's got the old iconic art from Ice Age. It's like like almost a pastel. It, it looks really good. You should check the uh, original card art out from Ice Age. I just, I really like that style of art. In case you guys didn't know, I'm Josh's only friend, if you can't tell by the first two cards. You bounce everything to their hands, or you make them sacrifice a third of their stuff. Those That's are your first... That's your first two cards. Uh, I have. Only one ever... more card on my list is evil. I promise. I uh, I don't know if I've ever played against Pox. I don't know if I've ever had one cast against me. I played against Smallpox and Legacy back when that was a good deck. I don't know if it was good back when that was a kind of playable deck. Um, don't don't come at me. There's like a very strong following of that deck in Legacy. There's like just. The loyal people that still play it, that is their deck. They want to cast Smallpox. Uh, and it's probably the worst card in their deck as well. So, yeah. Um, it's miserable. I'm glad someone enjoys it, I guess. What's our next color? Uh, after that, we're moving on to red. And I'll uh, lead red off with Wild Research. We actually talked about this card a little bit before the uh, show today. And I'm really surprised. This card's only a buck, guys. It's somewhere between fifty cents and a buck fifty for a non-foil version. Uh, it's only seen two printings. It was in Apocalypse, and it was in the list. Uh, it is two and a red for an enchantment, and then it has two abilities on this enchantment. One of them is one and a white. Search your library for an enchantment, put it in your hand, and then discard a card at random. And the other one is one and a blue. Search your library for an instant, put it in your hand, and then discard a card at random. I've always loved the super random effects in red cards. Uh, cards like Gamble were also very similar to this, where you get to go get a card and you pitch a card at random. 
Uh, I liked cards like Confusion in the Ranks. Uh, I, I like the random effects, but this card's powerful. This card actually is quite powerful. Repeatable Tutors for only two mana to fetch up enchantments or instants as many times as you want. Uh, sometimes putting those cards in the graveyard can actually be a benefit as well. I'm, I'm surprised this card doesn't see more commander play. I, I, I understand why it doesn't see much constructed uh, tournament play, but for commander, I kind of like this card. I actually think it's got potential, and I'm now I'm brewing Jeskai ideas in my head. But you can tutor up Underworld Breach and Brain Freeze with this card. Absolutely can. That seems pretty good. Yeah. I, I believe that this could be nearly a CDH card in a Jeskai Commander list. I just need to figure it out. <laughs> Who do you think your commander would be? I don't think it even matters. Like, I, I don't think your commander would matter much at all. Uh, I would have to actually take a look at the list and and see who I'd want to use with it. I'd probably pick somebody with some generic value, like some card draw or something like that. Uh, isn't there one that you can play cards off the top of your library? Something um, like that? There's some blue-red ones that do that. I don't know if there's a full Jeskai one that does that. I thought there was a Jeskai one. If you guys know what the Jeskai one is, tweet at us. Let us know what the card I'm thinking of is. I think there's a Narset that does that. Yeah, that might be. Would it be the five mana Narset or whatever? Six mana Narset, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that lets you shuffle your library, like Wild Research does, and tutor up combos. So like, if there's not a card you can cast on top or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And again, I don't think your commander would matter much with this card. I, I just think this card has got a lot of power in a very small package. And it's so cheap. It's so cheap. Uh, this would be a great card to start brewing a list for uh, a somewhat cheap CEDH deck, I think. And like I said, now now I've got ideas rolling. And probably after the show, I'm going to go build a Jeskai Commander deck out of it. Do you have a Wild Research on Magic Online? Oh, yeah. I did tons of IPA drafting. And this was not a card that anybody cared about drafting. <laughs> IPA drafting, India Pale Ale? Uh, invasion, Plane Ship, Apocalypse. Okay, okay. I don't know, maybe you're drinking and drafting. That's like the best way to draft. Uh, once in a while, sure. Um, so I kind of had to tie on mine. So I guess the first one I'll go with an honorable mention. And that is Kiki Jiki the Mirror Breaker. Uh, Kiki the Jiki the Mirror Breakers. Two and three red for a two-two with haste. Sure, you guys all know you tap it, you copy something that's not legendary, you make a copy of it. Um, it's Splinter, it's like the original Splinter Twin. But I just like jamming this thing in every kind of deck I can. Copying stuff for value is a lot of fun. But my favorite red card to cast of all time, as simple as it is, I bought a playset from you like a month ago, is Goblin Guide. Um, when I first came out, I played, or when it first came out, I was just getting into playing Magic a little bit more competitively, and I played the heck out of this card um, in Standard. I've played it in Modern. I've played it in Legacy. So for those of you that don't, don't know, Goblin Guide is one red for a 2-2 Goblin Scout with haste, and it says whenever Goblin Guide attacks... Defending player reveals the top card of his or her library. If it's a land card, that player puts it into his or her hand. Or that's the old wording. Now it's their hand. But, yeah, Goblin Guide 
was had a bunch of buzz about it when it came out. Uh, so, like the original mono red deck uh, was Sly Red, and it played a card called Jackal Pup, which was one red for a two one, and whatever damage was dealt to it was also dealt to you. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, any any damage it took, you took that, and it was one of the best red creatures of all time. Yeah, so to have a one mana two two with haste, and remember when this came out, the none of the prowess cards were around. Uh, I don't want to say Raging Goblin was playable, but it wasn't that far away from playable. Um, Raging so, Goblin, no, Raging Goblin was absolutely playable. Yeah, and this just set. I think this card kind of represents a one of the power creep jumps that happened in Magic when it comes to red creatures. Um, it set a new bar. It's downsides, whatever. You don't care. They get lands. You get them dead. It's fair enough. Um, yeah, I love jamming me some Goblin Guide. I plan on building uh, a burn deck. For those of you, the guys that don't know, the difference between Pioneer Burn, Modern Burn, and Legacy Burn, there's not a whole lot of cards that are different. You just swap out a few, but they all play... Um, well, I'll play Eidolon. The modern one plays Goblin Guide, so does the Legacy one. Uh, they play a lot of the same cards. So I'm kind of building that just so I have a deck to play in paper whenever I want. I got the cool promo ones, which are also way cheaper than the normal ones, come to find out, or the original Zendikar ones. But yeah, I love me some Goblin Guide. It is an all-time great aggro card. I, I, I like Goblin Guide as well. Uh, it is a shame that uh, it put Jackal Pup, uh, put it down for good, but great card. Yeah, it came out like, so it came out like six months, I think, after I started playing. And like, I read it and I was like, that's cool. And then everyone around me at the store was just going nuts and on and on and on about how Jackal Pup, it, like this was just a way better version and so on and so forth. And that's kind of the first time I heard a lot of buzz about a card. And it's been relevant for over 10 years now. You know, if you look at the other creatures that were super relevant at the time, were things like Bloodbraid Elf, which sees like kind of just fridge bothered play, Baneslayer Angel, which no one plays anymore, and then the big bad Tarmogoyf, which also hardly sees any play. So Goblin Guides outlasted a lot of really big, big name cards. Uh, over the course of the years. So that is my favorite red spell. What's how, about our... your, how about your favorite green spell? So uh, my honorable mention also came out in uh, Zendikar Block, and that is Fauna Shaman. And I kind of always liked that idea of that card. I just never really made it work in standard, and I didn't own any in real life, and I didn't own Venge Vines that you needed. So if you flash forward, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years later, War of the Spark came out and gave us a bunch of busted cards. And out of all the cards that are super busted in that set, my favorite card that I played way too much of and I brewed with con constantly is a 25-cent rare called Vivian's Arcbow. Vivian's Arcbow is one in a green for a legendary artifact. It says X, tap it, discard a card. Look at the top X cards of your library. You may, you may put a creature card with converted mana cost X or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any random order. 
Um, I played a deck full of silver bullets, and I tried all sorts of crazy things with this. The big one, uh, the, first off, the cool thing about it is you can activate it on, on your opponent's turn, and it makes your lanes late game really good, because you just discard them and tap all your mana at the end of their turn, put something into play. Uh, what's that guy's name? Flipplefip or whatever? The one in a blue guy? Fipplefip. Yep. Uh, I played that because you actually got to put them into play from your deck and draw two cards. I played a version that played four mana. Um, the Soren that got to reanimate guys is another way to use the discard effect. And then you reanimate it with Soren, just trying to get a bunch of value with a bunch of greedy mana bases. If you guys can't tell, I didn't play super competitively at this time. Uh, I was just grinding on Arena every day. But there was a solid three months of my life where I just put three or four of these in every deck I could and tried to make it work. It's, I don't know. I still want to say it's playable in a format. Like, do you think we could make it work in Pioneer or something? Maybe? Probably not? Uh, you, you might be stretching a bit there. You could try. Maybe I could play it in my Rocco Commander deck. That wouldn't be, like, the worst, right? Yeah, there you go. It, it would fit good there. Yeah. You know, I, I just have a lot of good memories. I just got back into Magic not too long before that. And uh, this was, like, my first time, like, really brewing. I had decent success climbing the ladder. I mean, I never made it to, like, Mythic with the deck or anything like that. But for how much I played, I won more games than I lost. And not by a large margin, by a small margin. But, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a really cool card. And I feel like I'm the only person on the planet that played with it. Uh, you are. You are, actually. No, <laughs> no one else has ever cast that card, ever. Fair, Not sure if fair you're aware of that. Uh, for me, uh, this is probably the most uh, tournament-powerful card on my list, I think. Um, still sees play today, even. Uh, not as much as it used to. But it is Oath of Druids. I, I love the entire Oath cycle. Uh, Oath of Druids really stood out, though, because I love putting big things into play. And this is a card that puts big things into play. It's one in a green for an enchantment. And it has, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, so it is symmetrical, that player chooses target player who controls more creatures than he or she does and is her his or her opponent. Uh, the first player may then reveal cards from the top of their library until he or she reveals a creature. If you do, you put that creature onto the battlefield and everything else into your graveyard. So it's got some weird wording, um, but basically you target a player, and if that player has more creatures than you, you mill cards until you hit a creature. And when you hit a creature, you put that creature directly into play, and everything else goes in your graveyard. And so you load your deck up with large creatures, and ways to give your opponents creatures. The most common way currently is a card called Forbidden Orchard, which is a land that can tap for any colored mana, and as a downside, it gives your opponent a 1-1 spirit, which for an Oath of Druids deck is certainly not a downside. It's a very heavy upside. And then you get to flip into things like Emrakul or Sphinx of the Steel Wind or Blightsteel Colossus or whatever you want. It, it, can, it can literally be anything. I flipped this thing into value decks uh, where you just play it out and when your opponent has more creatures than you. 
decks that had like defense of the heart in it as well just to pull big creatures out of your deck and they could be anything thorn elementals i played with it verdant forces uh, any cool big silly creature you could think of i probably flipped over with an oath of druids at some point or another I love this card. I like the whole oath cycle where you get a benefit if you're behind. It's really fun. It's a lot of fun to play with. Uh, and I actually don't think this is one of those cards that uh, your opponents grumble at when they see it in play. Um, usually by the time they see it, there's not much they can do about it anyway. They either remove it or they let you get your creature. Oh yeah, Josh uh, plays bad magic cards in Vintage. And so he really likes Oath of Druids. Uh, this is a constant argument we have, in case you guys didn't know. Um, no, Oath of Druids is a lot of fun. Have you made Oath of Druids work in Vintage Cube yet? Ah, uh, I've tried. <laughs> um, I have won games with Oath of Druids and Vintage Cube. Let me put it that way. Uh, I would not say that I made it work. Uh, I have oathed after my opponent was playing, like mono red or mono white or something and had a guy or two in play already and then flipped into generically large things like primeval titan or or whatever nonsense like that uh, and have won some of those games but if you're going to draft oath of druids in vintage cube you you better have some big brass ones because it ain't gonna work very often <laughs> no it's like storm it's a trap you think it's good but it's, it's so not. much worse than Storm, though, because when everything comes together in Vintage Cube for Oath of Druids, you have an okay deck. Right, right. <laughs> when you when you get everything right for Storm, you have an insane deck. Uh, uh, yeah. After that, though, yeah, we're we're gonna move on to White now. Uh, uh, this this one I'm gonna start with, and this will take me a minute too, because uh, this is quite the card. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of this card. Um, we talked about it last week. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I very highly doubt many of you have played with or against this card. Uh, it's an Arabian Nights card. It's never been reprinted. It will never be reprinted. That I can assure you, even if it weren't on the reserve list, it would never be reprinted. Uh, it is Scheherazade. It is white, white for a sorcery. And it has some of the most unique text in the game. Players leave the game that they're playing. They shuffle their deck uh, and start a sub game. They play out the sub game and the loser of the sub game loses half of their life points rounded down in the main game. Now, it goes without saying that this is going to be banned and will be forever banned in magic tournament play just so that nobody like me control people and draw every game out to time uh because that's what this card does it makes every game of magic take two three four eight sixteen twenty fifty times longer than it needs to be uh usually for almost no benefit whatsoever um but i love this card this card's so gimmicky and weird uh i actually had a copy uh, I don't anymore, but I had a copy, one copy, and I built a deck with the sole intent of creating an endless number of mini games with this card because I'm that guy. Um, what I would do is I would cast Scheherazade, and then I would fork it, which would put a copy of Scheherazade on the stack. Then I would use a counter spell to counter the original copy of Scheherazade to put that into the graveyard. 
Uh, and then I would tap all my lands for mana, and then I would sack my lands uh, with uh, Zernorb, and then sack my uh, Zernorb and Claws of Gix um, with Claws of Gix to put everything in my graveyard. And then I would use a Felden's Cane to put my whole graveyard back into my library. That way, when I started the mini game, I had my basically my full deck, including the original copy of Scheherazade, in my sub game deck. Uh, with the goal being to do that again in the sub game and have a second sub game and then a third sub game and then a fourth and so on and so on and so on. Uh, if we ever did make it back to a previous game, I would use a pull from eternity to bring my Felden's Cane back into my graveyard so that I could shuffle it back into my deck and keep the uh, cycle going. Evil. It, it, it was pure evil. It was just a time waster deck and I, I still love it. And, and I wish I had it together, I would play it now. In case you guys are curious, like I said before, I'm Josh's only friend. Because anyone that played Magic with him back then doesn't talk to him anymore. Did you actually like play this at like a FNM or whatever you oh, guys no, 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 no. I, I played this deck like five times, and it was uh, all kitchen table games, or, or pool table games, I guess. It's, we played down in uh, a buddy of mine's basement. Uh, we had a nice pool table that we'd all sit around and play. We usually had five, six-player games. Uh, and I think I actually managed to get uh, three sub games. That was the deepest I ever got. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you like try that once in a six-player multiplayer game, and then immediately die the next time you guys play because they just nope, not going to let it happen. Kill this guy first. Did that like did they gang up on you? Uh, you... No, they didn't gang up on me. Funny enough, um, but one of them absolutely hated this deck, and particularly hated me playing this deck. Uh, my buddy Rob, uh, if if he even had the inkling that I was playing this deck, uh, he pulled out his assassination deck. It was just a mono red burn deck, and it could not win a multiplayer game ever in a million years. But he dang sure was going to make sure I died <laughs> as fast yeah. as he could. And, and after that, it didn't matter anymore. And so that's why I stopped playing this deck. Oh, uh, as you deserved. That is fair. Um, well, I'm going to talk about a good magic card now that uh, some people didn't like at the time, but I've had quite a bit of fun uh, with. It's Restoration Angel with Flash and Flying. When Restoration Angel enters the battlefield, you may exile target non-angel creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. So when this first came out in standard, there was a card called Thrag Tusk. Um, Thrag Tusk is four and a green for a five three. When it comes into play, you gain five life, and when it leaves play, you make a three three beast. And so you could Restoration Angel that into the turn. Just get a lot of value. Um, just a lot of value engine decks around at that time built around this. But I've played this deck in a lot of different formats. I played it in Commander. I played it in uh, Modern. You can go infinite with Kiki Jiki. Um, I played it in a lot of Vintage Cubes because I always tried to draft a Kiki Jiki Splinter Twin deck um, and Restoration Angel, Fit Angel fits in there. And if you just have any cool Enter the Battlefield abilities, it just makes them happen again. It has Flash. You can do a bunch of cool little tricks with it. Uh, it's just fun. Like It's a fun card. It really changes the way you play the game, how you want to play it. 
Um, you can use it to protect a guy from your best card from a removal spell. You can block and then flicker it so it doesn't die. That if it comes into play, it draws your card or something else or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I really, really, really like Restoration Angel. This is one of those cards that I think would be cool to be reprinted in Standard. I don't know if they will because I'd be put it in Pioneer. But uh, since Birthing Pod got banned and stuff like that, you don't really see it in Modern. But it would be cool. Be cool if it did. I don't know. Did you cast I, this card ever? I drafted that card a lot. Yeah, I cast it a lot. It, it was such a good sucker punch in combat. You chump block their guy, um, uh, be able to chump block their guy and then save your guy with Resto Angel. You could sucker their guy by playing Resto, Resto Angel and blocking something they weren't expecting. Um, like you said, infinite value, but just getting an extra ETB on something was really, really strong. Just getting the flash flyer end step without even a flicker was great. Um, I have lost a game or two for getting the non-angel text on it. Right. I have tried to flicker an angel several times and then wondered why my uh, my ETB just didn't do anything. And it took a second to realize what happened. Yeah, read the card, it helps sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Reading stuff. the card is is important. Sometimes we uh we don't do that though. Yeah, a lot of the time, come to find out, especially when you feel like you know a card. Like if there's just a card I've played a bunch and you're like, Oh, I can do this super value play, and then you cast it and you're like, Oh yeah, there's that little clause in there that comes up one yep. percent of the time and I just don't I've played it so many times. I just feel like I can know what it. I know what it does. Uh, but you know, Restoration Angel is a lot of fun. I will probably draft it starting December twenty first in Vintage Cube. If you play against me in Cube, I am playing some. I'm either trying to make Storm work. I think I've won exactly with Storm, like one game. I don't think one round, just one game. Um, I've stormed off and killed someone, or I am trying to play some weird Kiki Jiki Jess guy control value combo deck. So be warned if you play against me on Magic Online. That is what I'm going to be playing. So that wraps up the five colors, right? That does. does. Yeah, no, we, we are done with the five colors. We have artifacts, lands, and multicolor left. Um, Let's go with multicolor next. Okay. Leader off. What do you got? Oh, this... It's the best boy. It's the best little otter that's ever existed. Lutri, the spell chaser, is one and two blue red hi- blue red hybrid man uh, mana symbols for a three two with flash, with uh, companion. Uh, it says when Lutri, the spell chaser, enters the battlefield, if you cast it, copy target and snare sorcery spell you control. You may choose new ca- uh, targets for the copy. So, it is good, but that's not what I like about this card. It's companion restriction. Does each non-land card in your starting deck has a different name? So, for those of you that don't know, my Friday Night Magic deck for a solid two months probably was Jeskai Lutri good stuff. Um, and ironically, I played Kiki Jiki in it. I don't own a uh, Consecrated Sphinx of Paper anymore, so I didn't play that. But I did play a Restoration Angel in that. Um, yeah, there's 
just it's just a cool way to build a deck. It's like that commander esque aspect. Also, this is how companion's supposed to be done, um, not broken and an actual real real restriction. And the cool thing about playing it modern is there's a big enough card pool that you get to just I'm gonna play one mana leak. I'm gonna play one counter spell. I'm gonna play one syncopate. I'm gonna play one fire ice. And so when I built this deck, instead of being like, this is my deck, it's what it does, and here's my sideboard cards, I I mean, there were some deck cards I was for sure playing. Like I played Ragavan and Merktide. Um, I put in a weird Kiki-Jiki combo package with um, Imperial Recruiter. So you Imperial Recruiter for Kiki-Jiki, then you copy it, and you go get Deceiver Exarch, and then you combo off and win. Um, but so like the sideboard for when you build a deck like this, I tried to pick cards that were very versatile, like a braid, um, austere's command that had multiple different things. Cause you can't board in four of a card. Uh, the deck was kind of complicated to sideboard with because you just don't know what you want to take out, which is weird in a one of deck. You think it'd be easy, but it was way harder than I thought. I got to play with Path to Exile, which I had not got to play in a long time. Um, and it was just, if you guys had a chance and you're playing, you don't care about winning an F&M, um, or if maybe it's a more casual thing, just try to build a loot tree deck. And you can set it up to do whatever you want inside. A lot of them play four colors and play black and play like Drown of the Lock and stuff like that. And then you kind of win by taking an extra turn and copying it with loot tree um, to give you like the final tempo uh with like temporal mastery Uh, a lot of people do that but just choosing all the cards like so i picked all the cards like outside of my mana base and i said these are the cards i'm going to play which one of these 15 go on my sideboard which ones go in the main deck and how do i make this work um and it makes super unique gameplay like it feels like how commander used to feel like you know when i originally played commander or if you play very casual commander every game feels super super unique and different because you're playing a singleton deck um and if you're not playing high powered you're not playing a bunch of tutors and stuff like that uh and that's how this felt every game felt wildly different from the last one and it was a blast to play i think it's like a two dollar card i was trading with a buddy of mine and he had an extra one and i just snagged it from him uh, to kind of put icing on the cake of the trade, you may say, and immediately went home and was like, what can what can I do with this? Um, I've also seen legacy versions of it. I want to build a vintage version because in vintage, everything's restricted anyway, so half your deck's already one-ofs. Um, the biggest issue is you can only play one four so well, so, you know, that sucks. But have you... Uh, also, this card immediately got banned in Commander which I think is not fair. Um, I think it should just be banned as a a companion. And then I also don't understand why the companion mechanic works in Commander. I mean, I do, but I don't. It doesn't seem right. What doesn't seem right about it? Well, because isn't it like you have 98 cards in your main deck then, and then Lutri in your companion zone, right? Or your, your companion in your companion zone? Isn't that how it works? So yes, I'm not sure. I don't. I thought you still had 99, and you had a companion in addition. Maybe 
I don't know, it's just weird. It's like you have another commander that doesn't have partner. Um, yeah, have you ever played? I'm sure you haven't played with this card. This card is not good, but it is a whole heck of a lot of fun. I uh, no, I have not played with the card. Um, I like things that copy stuff, uh, working spells and whatnot. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, and, and no, uh, companions uh, don't start in your deck. They start outside of your deck. So you still have a 99. You just have a commander outside the game and you have a Lutri outside the game. So you, if Lutri were legal. Yeah, I don't know. It's cool. It's the only one of the companions that should be safe forever from a ban. I can't ever see this card getting banned. Knock on wood. Uh, and it's just a unique deck building challenge. I really enjoyed everything about this deck. I could talk about it on and on and on and on. Uh, so yeah, what's your gold color card? Mine is the best gold color card ever, all time, always will be, and that is the Winged Hippo, Beldegriff. Uh, Beldegriff is one, a white, a blue, and a green for a four-four legendary Beldegriff. And it has three abilities. And Beldegriff abilities have an effect that's good for you and something that's good for your opponent. That's how the Beldegriff works. So the white ability on Beldegriff is that it gains flying till in a turn. But your opponent gains two life. The blue ability is that you can return it to your hand. But your opponent can draw a card. And the green ability is that it gets trampled till in a turn. But your opponent gets to make a 1-1 hippo. Um, <laughs> this card is hilarious. It's the goopiest looking card you've ever seen. It's a giant purple hippo with big green wings uh, was in the uh, alliances block. I actually played this alongside Oath the Druids because its green ability allowed me to give my opponent creatures, which um, <laughs> Forbidden Orchard wasn't a card back when I was playing that originally, so I needed ways to give my opponent's creatures. Um, so I did play this in my Oath of Druids deck. Uh, it, it could gain flying and hit for for a turn, granted they gained two life, so it hit for two a turn. Um, you could keep it safe uh, and let your opponents draw cards. It was a lot of fun to play in multiplayer games, uh, free-for-all games, as we called them, uh, because you got to pick opponents, so you could do politicking with the card. You'd be like, oh, hey, I I've got four white mana left at the end of my turn. I'm going to gain you eight life just because. Uh, or I'm going to make some blockers for this guy so he can stay alive. Like, it was a really fun politicking card. They actually did a throwback to the card not that long after the original was printed. The second one came out in Plane Shift, which was part of the Invasion block. Uh, and that was Questing Beldegriff. And that one is the same casting cost and the same size. It is not legendary, though. Uh, and that one allows uh, one green, gives it plus one, plus one until end of turn, uh, but an opponent gets a 1-1 Hippo. One white gives it protection from black and red until end of turn, but an opponent gains two life. And one blue gives it flying, but an opponent draws a card. So it was very similar to the original. Obviously, it was meant to be. Um, this card was so much fun to play. Uh, this was also printed back when mana was not as easy to come by. So casting this card was actually difficult uh, to do on turn four or five. It's not like nowadays when you can easily cast an Omnath on turn three. 
this card actually took some flexing to to actually get on the board. And when you did, it was a four mana four four, which was a reasonable body, and it had a bunch of abilities. It, it, it was a lot of fun to play with. This was maybe the goofiest card that I enjoyed playing with that didn't just feel bad. Yeah, so what Josh did is he played uh, Pox and uh, whatever the blue card was that bounces everything to your hand. Trade Wind Rider. Yeah, and Sherazad. And so to make sure all of his friends didn't hate him at the end of the day, he would play this card. That that's It came full circle. Oh, that no, he, no, no, no. Uh, the, the way I politic with this card is would, would actually just annoy more people because I would save people that were about to die and whatnot. Oh, so Josh still doesn't have friends. No. Recurring theme of the show. Yes. I, I'm very uh, very Machiavellian in, in that aspect. Uh, I, I must win at all costs, even if that means losing my friends. Winning a game of Magic is much more important than friends. You guys I'm gonna all need Josh. to be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and Feldegriff, as far as I know, kind of created its uh, archetype in Commander. It was like the first group hug Commander, wasn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, um, Zedru the Greathearted, which was in the first, I believe it was the first series of official Commander decks. Yeah, Commander uh, 2011. Yep, right? was heavily, heavily inspired by Questing Peldegriff. So, oh. and, and that was the first group hug deck where you politicked your way to a victory. I feel like that doesn't happen that much anymore. Maybe uh, just- that is because most commander games seem to um, revolve around each player doing their own thing. And so when you play a group hug deck, all you're doing is enabling everybody else's combos, and they usually kill everybody at once. Uh, There's not that many commander games that I play anymore that are based around slowly whittling players down. Usually the games end in a fast and furious volley of whatever. Maybe we should like build bad commander decks on Magic Online, like some like pre-con power level stuff. I'm totally down. Uh, there's a ton of commanders that I think would be a lot of fun if uh, if only you could survive long enough to play them. Yeah, we'll have to. Maybe we'll make a rule set, like uh, like a deck building challenge. Play them against each other, like absolutely. No man, like no mana crypt, no mana vault. Uh, yeah, well, just... let, let's come up with a rule set. Maybe some of the uh, listeners would be interested, too. Uh, you can always shoot us an email and uh, uh, give us your Magic Online handle. Please don't give us your password, just your name, and uh, maybe we can set up a game. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Our email, by the way, is uh, tofapodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up at Twitter at tofapodcast. Um, yeah, no, that'd be a bunch of fun. Some weird deck restrictions i'm all i mean i just ranted about lutri uh, <laughs> uh, i'm all about that um we'll go to artifacts next well, well i've already talked about which artifact is my favorite and how it's the only magic card i still own physically so we'll go ahead and start with mine it's curse scroll curse scroll is one colorless for an artifact and you can pay three and tap it. You name a card. Then you reveal a card at random from your hand. And if you happen to reveal the named card, you get to do two damage to a creature or player. This card 
felt so powerful in the early years of magic when repeatable effects were not ultra common, especially repeatable burn effects. Um, the group of friends I was playing with at the time, uh, every time I would play a curse scroll, they would say curse scroll sucks uh, because they had lost to this card so many times. All you need to do is empty your hand and you get a shock every turn. The first deck I played it in was a mono red sly deck using Jackal Pup, the precursor to Goblin Guide there, Brendan, um, as my premier one drop, uh, incinerates and curse scrolls to help get over the hump. When you ran out of burn and they had blockers and you couldn't attack anymore, you just curse scroll them to death. Uh, the card was super versatile. Uh, it killed stuff. It killed players. Uh, and today, it, it's a one-drop artifact. You can fetch it with Saga. That's fantastic. Uh, you can untap it and do it again. Uh, there were really fun things that I've done with Curse Scroll, like when you get stuck with, say, two lands in hand, and they're different lands. I could play a Mox Diamond, pitch a land. That way I could name the last land in my hand. I, I've played so many different ways around Curse Scroll. You could mind game your opponent as well, and um, name cards that weren't in your hand when you had multiple cards. Say you had four cards in hand, uh, and they would lose outright to a terror. You could say, all right, I'm going to name terror and reveal your hand. Oh, you didn't hit terror. Dang, I don't get to do my two damage. And now they're sitting there thinking, does he have a terror? Should I play this creature? It's just going to die. I, I don't know if I want to do that. He's got terror in his hand. Why would he name a card that's not in his hand? I, I really like this card. This card was fun. <laughs> Yeah, so cards were a lot different back when uh, Bill Clinton was president. Uh, uh, yeah, Bill Clinton would have been president. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bill Clinton would have been president. I would have been in preschool. Good times. Uh, no, it, it was crazy that card got banned at one point. I mean, like looking back now, uh, if you want to hear more about that, check out our last episode. We talked about the history of the ban list. Uh, prepare yourself. It's twice as long as this episode will be, probably. Uh, my colorless card, if you guys know me or listen to this podcast, shouldn't be a big surprise. It is Painter's Servant. You want to talk about cards that make you not have friends. Painter's Servant is a fair magic card. <laughs> By itself, maybe. Painter's Servant is two colorless for a 1-3 artifact creature scarecrow. Um, as Painter's Servant enters the battlefield, you choose a color. All cards that aren't on the battlefield... Spells and permanents are the chosen color in addition to their other colors. Um, so obviously this is half the combo with Grindstone, which uh, instant wins you the game, and it is also the namesake of my favorite Legacy deck. But there's so much other cool stuff you can do. Uh, like I've won games where I have two Pyroblasts in my hand, and I name Blue. And you blow up their two lands they have, or their creature in their land. It turns all your Hydroblast and Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast, Blue Elemental Blasts, to hard counters and hard removal. Um, but my favorite, my favorite thing to do with this is when someone goes to Wasteland you, and you Veil a Summer. And then, so the Wasteland, because the Wasteland is whatever color you named, you have to name Blue or Black, obviously and your land gains hexproof from it, and you just end up strip mining them, 
I've had multiple people on Magic Online very confused after I've done that. <laughs> uh, like, like what just happened? I had a whole conversation. He's like, "How did? Why didn't your land die?" Oh, wait. And then he just messaged like, "That's pretty cool." Um, yeah, only has like two printings. Um, yeah, one it's of right, them was right pricey, one of, though. Yeah, one of them is a masterpiece. Uh, it is coming out as a judge promo next year. Or, yeah, next year. So, Not that that's going to lower the cost at all. No, but someone is most of the way through becoming a level one judge. I'm just saying. Maybe I'll get my my next one there. But yeah, they're like seventy dollars. Um, yeah, they're expensive. It was banned in Commander at one point uh, because you could play this and Ionia, which uh, Ionia says name a color. Play opponents can't cast spells of that color, so. The two together say you can't. Your opponents can't play magic cards anymore. They they fixed that just by banning Ionia, though. Yeah, yeah. They banned Ionia and brought back Painter Servant, so you can play Painter Servant Grindstone in your commander deck and make all your friends real mad. Uh, but yeah, it's it's my favorite artifact to cast. Um, and not just because of the instant combo. And like I said, there's a lot of cool stuff. I actually went back and read some articles. Uh, from when it was first previewed, and obviously everyone had figured out the combo, but they just played some like really wacky cards. Um, I saw Thrabe and you play a weird version, and it played Natural Order. So you play Painter Servant and name Green, and it lets you tutor for any creature, um, because uh, all your creatures in your deck are also green. So Painter Servant's a cool card. There's not... This card came out in 2008, and it, that was the last time, I think, where they really messed where you changed the colors of stuff, if I remember correctly. That used to be a somewhat more common theme that would come up every once in a while. It, think, it was, and in the in the block that Painter Servant was in, color mattered a lot, and that's what Painter Servant was for in that set, so that you could turn yeah. your, your Horde of Boggarts into a giant creature, or... Uh, your fairy swarm into a giant creature or dodge uh, like a, a removal spell that only hit green creatures, for example. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool card. I like it a lot. I've rambled enough about it. They're, they're actually, for uh, right after the set came out, uh, there was an extended deck that used uh, Painter's Servant and Light of Day. What does Light of Day do? Uh, it says black creatures can't block. Uh, oh. Or block, I think, is it? Uh, but yeah, it it's um, a color hoser. But because painter's servant, you uh, you got to uh, stop them. Yeah, it's attack or block. It's three and a white for an enchantment. Black creatures can't attack or block. Um, and it used to. So the card that normally goes with that is darkest hour, which is an enchantment that makes all creatures uh, black. Uh, but painter servant was a backup plan. So that was a way for you to shut the board down. And so Painter Servant was an integral part of that deck as well. Super cool. I'm all about more Painter Servant. Painter well, there you go. There's a white Painter Servant card that no one will see coming in this day and age. <laughs> uh, the other like, like somewhat weird thing with Painter Servant is sometimes you actually have to think about what color you play. Like, if you're playing against a blue deck, like you want to name blue, but sometimes you don't because it means you can pitch uh, lands to force a will. Or if you're playing against a white deck, you don't want to make everything white because they can pitch lands to solitude, uh, stuff like that. It's 
it's interesting. It's a lot more interesting to play with than it looks on the surface. So, and there's a reason it's my favorite legacy deck. All right. Moving on. We just got lands. Yeah, what's your favorite land? Yeah, lands. Uh, My favorite land is Urza's Factory. Yeah. There's so many lands to choose from. It was actually kind of hard to pick. I I could probably put about 20 other lands up here and uh, be just as satisfied with them. Um, But Urza's Factory is the one that I settled on. It is a land. It has the type Urza's. Uh, It is tapped to add a... It didn't originally have the type Urza's, by the way. That's been added to it since. Uh, But it taps for a colorless. And for seven... And tap, you can make a 2-2 colorless assembly worker artifact creature token. Uh, This saw a little bit of play here and there in some standard uh, when it was out. Uh, It was just a late game value card that you could put uh, pump out a few guys to finish a game with. Uh, I just love the flavor on the card. It takes seven. You know what makes seven? Urza's Mine, Tower, and Power Plant makes seven. Uh, you tap the Urza's lands, and you can use your Urza's factory. I just, it's, I like the way that that works. It makes an assembly worker, which makes total sense. That's what the mine tower and power plant were doing was providing power for Urza's factories to churn out soldiers in the uh, lore. Um, if only it made the construct tokens. They got bigger for each artifact. Uh, that would just be the icing on top. Uh, it would probably still maybe see some play somewhere if it did. Uh, maybe not at seven mana, but yeah, it's that's, such fun. It's the 21st century. We have a lot better things to do with seven mana these days. Yeah, seven mana is a lot. I, I mean, I, I will give you that, but... It's such a fun card. I, I put this in a lot of decks, uh, really, even when I shouldn't, just because I like lands that have cool activations, and this is a cool activation. Uh, I like the fact that it has a land type, even though it's a non-basic land. I like the fact that um, it makes artifact creatures. Always been a, a mud kind of player. Love my love my brown town artifacts. Great card. I, I, I shove this into so much more than I should, just because I like it. Yeah, the time I'm looking at the Time Spiral remastered version, um, and the art on it's pretty sick. I don't know what the original art looks like. I'm not sure if I've seen the Time Spiral remastered. The original art has um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like it's got the Urza's power plant like pillars, um, and there's a bunch of things going into the ground. I, I'm not sure where the factory portion of it's supposed to be. Like, you can see the, the mine in the background. Oh, to, uh, to be fair, it's the same exact art I was just looking at. Oh, okay. So this From the Time Spiral. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It's very strange art, but it, it definitely looks like one of the Urza's lands when you, you know, put them all side by side. Yeah, no, it definitely does. All the colorless lands. So... And now you've also got Urza's Workshop to go with this, too. Yeah. And uh, Mishra's Factory can pump the hey, 2 you, you don't put Mishra cards in an Urza's deck. Yeah. Excuse me. Are, are there any other Urza's lands? Um, uh, there's one. There's Is one there? other Urza's land. Yeah, it's a pretty good card. It's actually my favorite land of all time. <laughs> um, little, little card called Urza's Saga. Um, Never heard of it. Yeah, weird. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, obviously, Urza Saga is just a cracked magic card. Um, luckily, it's an enchantment, so it's easier to kill, which feels really weird to say that having an additional type made the card worse. But obviously, uh, Urza's Saga is a saga uh, land. Chapter 1, you can make a colorless. Chapter 2, you can pay 2 mana and make a construct that's power and toughness equal to the number of artifacts you control, and it itself is an artifact. And Chapter 3, you search your library for a artifact with a mana value of 1 colorless, or a mana cost of one colorless or zero. Exactly. No X's, no getting chalice to the void, luckily. Um, How could you imagine? I feel a lot of people, because this came out Modern Horizons 2, I saw a lot of people go get Esper Sentinel with it. Um, because you read the card and you just automatically assume it, uh, that you can go get a one-drop. But no, it has to be a colorless one-drop. It's the reason Shadow Spear is like a 20 some dollar card. Yep. Uh, but no, I love playing this in every format I can. Including uh, Vintage. It's that including, good. Yeah, yeah. I play four of and the Tinker deck I've been playing, the Tinker Breach combo deck. You play four of a Painter's Servant because it tutors for your combo. Um, uncounterably, uh, it tutors with your combo. It makes multiple creatures. It's a win condition in itself. It's uncounterable. Uh, it does have some weird interactions because it's a saga, so... When you play stuff like Blood Moon, or if you make it an island with that Merfolk guy, they've been doing that in Vintage. I don't remember with uh, Tide Shaper. I think that's what that guy's name's called. Is yeah. with Kicker. Yeah. Um, because it's a saga and it loses the abilities, it goes straight to the graveyard, which makes me very sad. Uh, but yeah, this card is cracked in half. It is super good, and I like playing it as much as I can. I've built uh, plenty of bad modern decks and just jammed these in here. I was playing like a Knight of the Reliquary Elvish Reclaimer deck that the whole point was just to chain Urza Sagas back to back to back. Um, the Breach deck in modern plays it. I, if you guys play Magic and you play any of these formats, you obviously know what I'm talking about. Urza Saga is a busted Magic card. Um... And I remember the first time I saw it, my first thought was, and I just got back into playing Magic, so don't judge me, uh, not too long before that, and I'd only been playing Commander, and I was like, well, the lane goes away. That card sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Oops. Uh, I, I was wrong. Someone explained to me you got to make two constructs off of it, which makes a lot more sense. It made it a lot better, and I quickly changed my opinion after playing with the card once. <laughs> Excuse me. Honestly, even if you only could make one and then go tutor, like it would still be pretty insane. Yeah, you can. The card's just so versatile. Um, yeah, there's there's arguments on whether it'll get banned in formats or not. It does kind of create repetitive gameplay with a bunch of one ofs. You know, you always can pretty much hit your one of graveyard hate or one of pithing needle. Um, but I've built one modern deck, two modern decks in paper that haven't played this. And that's the thing it. that I kind of like about this card is it demands removal. And some of the best removal for this card are cards like Strip Mine and Wasteland. So in Legacy and Vintage, 
Um, it can punish the decks that want to play a greedier mana base and just play all the duels and fetch lands and don't have room for those wastelands or strip mine. And those decks can just lose to a turn one or a saga making a couple of constructs and then just smash and face. It's a pretty fast clock. Yeah, I have a lot of weird games in Vintage where I'll make a guy if my Urza Saga came out the turn before theirs did, and then I go get Pithing Needle, Needle and uh, name Urza Saga so they can't make a guy. I've won a game, a couple games that way. Uh, a lot of the decks are running an Alpine Moon in the sideboard, so you can name Urza Saga with it, uh, which is not like the... You can also name... Uh, a bizarre Baghdad with it, which is pretty helpful as well. Come to find out. But yeah, no. Um, it's it's a good card. I really... Uh, it took me a while to learn how to play with it, I guess. It kind of changes the way you play the game, and I don't think we think about that enough anymore. Like, when Urza Saga is in play, and you can make guys, it is almost always correct to not play spells and to just make creatures happen um so yeah urza saga is definitely my favorite land well that, that's, that's uh the entirety that's the main uh, that wraps up the main topic um as we all know we have not yet bullied josh into making a social media account yet so, I don't know how to use the internet. Yeah, yeah, just to play video games. You live on the internet. You just don't have any friends because you play mean magic cards. That's so. that's not very nice. It's, I play I play fun and interactive magic cards like Smokestack and Winter Orb and Kismet and Stasis. Uh yeah, that's Smokestack's bad magic card these days. You ever like realize that stack stacks don't play smokestack anymore. Yeah, but they do play cards like Tangleware. Yeah. They do play I, cards like uh Stasis Orb. <laughs> I have a numerous commander decks with Stasis Orb and Winter Orb in them and then ways to tap them so that it's not symmetrical. Yeah, this is why we need to build low power commander decks. Guys, we won't let them play these cards if you come play Commander of Magic Online with us. We will play I, nice I I might find a way to sneak one or two of those in there. <laughs> in what deck in this fair I, magic game we're trying to like magic format? I, you know what? Just just for the uh, just for the giggles, I'm shoving a winter orb in every one of my commander decks for the next year. <laughs> with with no synergy at all. I'm just putting a winter orb in there. Just winter orb? Yep. Just uh, putting it in there. My tap out control deck, winter orb, don't care. <laughs> Well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Play to Your Outs. You can email us, like I said before, tofapodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at tofapodcast. And yeah, that's all I got, guys. Um, you got anything else you want to talk about, Josh? No, I think that's it for me. All right, guys. I hope you like episodes like this. We want to do something a little bit more fun and lighthearted. Um, after I'm done playing Eternal Weekend, I'm thinking I'm going to start grinding some RCQs if my schedule allows it. So maybe we'll start talking about more Pioneer. See if maybe my opinion will change on that format. And yeah, 
I hope you guys have a great week and I will talk to all of you soon.